Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Coming up on Star Talk Cosmic Queries, I've got Chuck Nice with me, and we have as our guest, theoretical physicist Delilah Gates, and she's an expert on everything space-time geometry. We're going to learn what that is. We're going to find out if in a spherical universe, whether we can see the back of the head of our own Milky Way, does the rest of the universe abide by Newton's laws or Einstein's laws? Is the universe curved? And... Is there a center of the universe? Next on Star Talk. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Cosmic Queries Edition. I got Chuck Nice with me to help me out here. Chuck, how you doing, man? Hey, Neil, what's happening? All right, all right. This is a Cosmic Queries on gravity and space-time geometry. What do you oh think of that? Oh, my. I think, you know, <laughs> why aren't we being a little, uh, you know, you know, we, we really should be as elementary as possible, you know? Just, just, just the basics. Get just, the basics yeah. out there. We, no. <laughs> we need to get these basics out of the way, and I think this is a great time to do it, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, the, yeah, so you, what we not everybody. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, whatever I know about this, it's not enough to do a whole show on it. And so we got to get. We had to. We 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 found one of the world's experts on this subject, and she's right. with us today, Delilah Gates. Delilah, welcome to Star Talk. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. And and from your resume here, you are freshly minted PhD. Like. 18 months ago or something. Is that's that, right. that right? That's absolutely oh, right. Oh, wow. Spanking you know what? Brand I, thought, new. I thought that was it. You got that new doctor smell. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as it's a pleasant one, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, there you go. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So Didn't have it you, you got your, your PhD in physics from Harvard a couple of years ago, and now you're at the Princeton Gravity Initiative. So what is that? What what does that even mean? So, yeah, the Gravity Initiative is a center here at Princeton. um, And most of the people involved with it are postdocs and affiliated professors and a few grad students. And we are a bunch of people who ask questions about compact objects, by which I mean objects that have the strongest gravity that we have in our universe. That's uh, black holes Mm -hmm. and neutron stars. And also people who study uh, questions of math related to general relativity and gravity as well. So because, is that because what Einstein realized was that there are entire branches of mathematics that you need that the physicists might not have expertise in and then the mathematicians come in to help out? Is that kind of what happens there? That's kind of what happens. It's actually an interesting back and forth. So, of course, discovering Einstein's equations and the solutions to it that describe the shape of space-time around things like black holes was revolutionary. Um, and of course, new math needed to be introduced to be able to calculate these uh, objects. But additionally, just the fact that we now know our universe hosts these objects, black holes, neutron stars, these strong gravity environments, uh, leads to just mathematical questions about whether space-time itself is uh, stable, for, for instance. And so the mathematicians have uh, a back and forth uh, interplay with the physicists when it comes to asking questions about uh, gravity. Delilah, that that completely spooked me when you said 
Space-time might not be stable. Exactly. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> like, yeah, what happened? Did we break up with another universe in the multi-universe? <laughs> the question we, of stability no, is, is it shouldn't be as scary as it sounds. Certainly, we think it should be stable. We It hasn't broken yet. We're still all here to ask these questions, so we don't think it's broken yet. It's more so just, though, Damn. mathematically understanding if something is stable is a little bit different from, you know, just by fiat saying we exist, therefore it is. So we... And, and Chuck, it has nothing to do with emotional stability, yeah, just to well, be clear, you know, okay? That's, the, the, that's where I'm going to go immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so Delilah, is there... T tell us what space-time is and space-time geometry, just so we're all on the same page. Absolutely. So let me back up a little bit and just talk about you know, our own intuition. We live in a world where we're able to move around and we kind of can get this feel that there are three dimensions in which we can move. We can move back and forth, we can move left to right, or we can move up and down, right? And so that feels like three dimensions. And, you know, for a long time, we used uh, classical mechanics uh, and Newtonian gravity to describe what was going on in that situation. But when Einstein came along with special relativity, he told us that time, the way we perceive sequences of events, is also related to the dimensions that feel like spatial dimensions to us. So what we actually have to do is think of space and time as being one object. And to move from thinking about them as just one object, this object also has a shape. And this is when Einstein added general relativity to tell us about what that shape is. There's this relationship between the shape of quote-unquote space-time, this fabric that we all live in, which has to do with the way we're allowed to move physically through space as well as the way we perceive time flowing in space. This one object is shaped by the stuff that's in it. So gravity, uh, as given to us by general relativity from Einstein, tells us energy and matter tell space-time how to be shaped. And the way that space-time is shaped tells matter how to move uh, throughout space-time, what paths it should take. Wow. All right. Well and so done. when you have your when you have your 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 high gravity objects, that tests your ideas and the mathematics uh, at their limits in a way, right? Because I guess all everything that you described is happening here and now around us, but it's not manifesting in any important way that we would change our lives based on it, right? That's right. It's true that for the most part we can use you know, classical mechanics and Newtonian gravity for the way things are, and we don't have to appeal and to Delilah. It was good enough. It was good enough for my grandparents. Okay, I it mean, hey, <laughs> it's honestly good enough for all of us when we drive our cars, when we throw baseballs. You know, we don't have to think about, oh my goodness, how is the baseball warping space and time as I throw it to my friend? Yeah, in my generation, you know? we were that I, was good enough for us. I think us. most of us actually uh, live our physical, intuitive lives without having to appeal to it, um, mm -hmm. but. You know, even even uh, in the time of Einstein, it became relevant. It was, you know, first tested general relativity and the corrections it makes to Newtonian's gravity was first tested using um, solar eclipses. Um, so uh, even the way our sky appears, you know, is affected by, by general relativity, um, even though we don't need it for our, the way we intuitively move about our day. For both, for the most part. But plus, as, as I understand it, the entire Apollo program used just Newtonian gravity. So, like, it was good enough for us to get to the moon. Absolutely. <laughs> you young whippersnappers that are trying to do something extra with it. So, so we have questions that we solicited from our uh, Patreon fan base. And if you want to ask questions, too, out there, uh, you can join our Patreon. And there's a pretty affordable lowest level where you get to ask these questions. And so, Chuck, you, you compiled them? Yeah, these are all specifically for Delilah. Um, Good, cool. Christine Dolman says, uh, Hello, Dr. Tyson, Doc, Dr. Gates, and Sir Chuck. No, that's Lord Chuck, Christine. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm a teacher and a young scientist. I love facilitating the study of geometry. How are two- and three-dimensional shapes represented across the universe? Spheres are easy, but what about the rest? Aha! Yes. Well, the spheres, the spheres happen even here, naturally, underwater. And for some reason, everything becomes a sphere. So what's going on there? And what about the rest? Well, I guess, you know, when thinking about the shapes of various things, um, often the question is, 
you know, what is energetically easy. Spheres are easy. And it's because, you know, you can make things smooth and try to, you know, fit a minimal surface area around a maximal amount of volume. Um, for If you think about, a fun thing is if you think about water in space, if you have a drop of water, it's roughly spherical when it floats in space, unencumbered by the force of gravity. Of course, if you touch it a little bit, it'll it'll vibrate and wiggle, but it, it wants to be spherical because of the surface tension, um, trying to find an easy way to relax. But um, I will say, what about the rest about shapes throughout space? Um, if we're thinking about objects, one thing that I think is profound is that in physics, we kind of think that things are generic. We think that the laws of physics here are the laws of physics everywhere. Uh, and we try to come up with, with theories that describe the whole of what happens anywhere in the universe. And of course, this is what we want. I do hope the way I throw a ball uh, is the same way I would throw it on one side of the earth or another side of the earth. Uh, or if I went to the moon, uh, as long as I calculate for the change in the mass of the, the planet I'm standing on. So the shapes should all be described in the same way, uh, depending, regardless of where we are uh, in the universe. Okay. Oh, that's, okay. that's okay. very clean. That's yeah, very clean. All right. oh, okay. On earth as it is in the heavens. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. All, All right, right. Well, Chuck, give me another great, one. Yeah. Great question, Christine Tolman. Mm -hmm. Thanks. This is Trevor C. Mills. Trevor is coming to us from Augusta, Georgia. He says, greetings, mm -hmm. Dr. Tyson, Dr. Gates, and Chuck. I know that currently it is not believed that wormholes, sizable ones at least, have the ability to be stable. Is this due to the geometry of space-time itself? If so... What about the geometry of space-time prevents stable wormholes? And if mm. not, then does then what does prevent stable yeah. wormholes? Oh. You know, when people ask that, I try to ask them how old they are because if they're like 12 or 13, then you got to check the basement, see if they're making something down there. Because <laughs> they get the nemesis of superheroes. <laughs> Sounds like an innocent question, you know, on the surface. Yes, yeah. There is an, addend an addendum here is, and if I were to create a wormhole, would I be able to get one <laughs> billion dollars? <laughs> hey, I'm sure if we created a wormhole, you know, someone would try to try to use it to make money. In um, nefarious ways. So, so Delight, we, we mentioned instabilities earlier, and here we're talking about the stability of a wormhole. So what's up with that? So I will say, as a caveat, my expertise is not... Um, math. So this is a question, uh, the mathematical side as a mathematician of general relativity or space-time geometries. But um, from my understanding, this goes to the question of the way ha things change when you add additional matter. Um, often when we solve for the shape of space-time in Einstein's equations analytically, um, we only do it in specific circumstances where everything, all the matter is only, say, in the black hole or the neutron star, um, very compact. But of course, you know, if you want to jump through a wormhole, you're yourself matter. And if you are matter, you cause, according to Einstein's equations, the shape of space-time to change slightly. So when mathematicians try to understand the stability of, of, of space-time, of certain space-time objects like black holes or, or wormholes, what they really have to do is add a little bit to the mathematical description of the shape to account for adding, say, a person trying to jump through the wormhole. And then you have mm. to calculate whether or not this, the, the equations break down or can settle back down into their original form once the person has moved through the wormhole. And that's a hard thing to do. Um, I don't know what the generic rules are about what make this up, but typically stability is not an easy thing to prove. It's still an open question whether... Um, spinning black holes are stable. All right, so so what you're saying is the um, it's still not a completely solved problem, which is interesting, which keeps open the doorway for science fiction writers. And I don't have a problem with that, you know, as long as we, we give them a little bit of latitude, let them run with it. It also keeps the door open for mathematicians who want to study the area. <laughs> mm hmm mm hmm mm hmm All right, what do you have next? All right, here we go. This is, uh, let's see here. Let's... Uh... Let's move away from home and go to Quinton in Switzerland. Mm. Quinton says, if the universe has a closed spherical, spherical shape, 
Could one of the galaxies in the sky that we look at be the Milky Way in its past state? Oh, wow. So can we look out and then see around? <laughs> oh, just, oh, come around the backside? Can we come around the backside? Chuck, is that the, is that the back of your head, Chuck? Yeah, exactly. How did that happen, Chuck, man? Move out, I'm looking, move out of I'm the way, Chuck. I'm looking these binoculars and I, I see I need to get a shape up in the back of my head. <laughs> Actually, we got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to find out the answer to whether if the universe is spherical, does looking out in one direction end up coming right back so that you can see the back of your own head, or at least the back of the Milky Way's head, when Star Talk continues with our guest, Delilah Gates. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics, because that's who we are. I'm Joel Cherico, and I make pottery. You can see my pottery on my website, CosmicMugs.com. Cosmic Mugs, art that lets you taste the universe every day. And I support Star Talk on Patreon. This is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're back. Star Talk, Cosmic Queries, talking about space time geometry and gravitation with freshly minted PhD. Delilah Gates, who is now at Princeton University in their Gravity Initiative program. That's just so audacious. It's like, no, there's still some gravity we don't understand, and we got to figure this out, and let's get some smart people all in the same place at the same time. See what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> ah, look at that. See? See how clever I was? Look at that. Space-time uh, jokes. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so... So th uh, this is a question from Switzerland. You just read it back real quick, Chuck. Sure thing, sure, sure, sure thing. This is Quentin from Switzerland. He said, if the universe had a closed spherical shape, could one of the galaxies in the sky be the Milky Way in its past state? Mm. Interesting. Mm. So this is a great question. And in principle, the answer is, if the universe had a closed uh, spherical geometry, then indeed we could see the our own Milky Way in the sky. But there is one problem, however. 
uh, okay. th- or one other element you need to consider. Even if the universe is spherical, you also have to consider its size. There would have had to be enough time since the Milky Way started for the light from it to reach us. So even if the universe was spherical, but the universe was too big, the light from the mm-hmm. from our universe that went around all the, the back around and then to come back at us wouldn't have had enough time. So in principle, the answer is yes, but you also need to consider how large the universe is to wow. understand whether or not one would be our, our own galaxy that we're seeing in our sky. Then what's the answer for this universe? We, then we should know that, right? Well, we, are we big enough or are we small enough for that? Yeah, we don't. We we don't see any evidence that um, mm-hmm. that the observable universe uh, in the observable universe in in all the light we can see um, from starting close to the Big Bang with things like the cosmic microwave background. Um, we don't see any evidence that our universe is uh, closed and spherical. Okay. Oh, Another wow. thing is we all also right. if you. Talk about whether the universe is closed. It doesn't have to be a sphere. There are other closed geometries, uh, like right. tori, um, and different. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know what a tori oh, is. A tori it's is the a plural donut. of Taurus, it's dude. A, yeah, a Taurus. It's a plural of Taurus, dude. Uh, I, now, Taurus is, now I know. It's, it's not. It's not. It's not. A, it's not a. It's not a. It's not an, a, uh, it's not an astrology it's not a, sign. So it's, it's a. It's a, right. it's a donut. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. That's the first time I ever heard Tori. Okay, you know, we just think- Taurus. All right, so what you're saying is we we're in an open universe, not a closed universe. We think we're we're deaf. There's definitely no evidence we're in a closed one, and there's also no evidence that we are on a geometry that is curved like a sphere. Um, you could, right, right. Okay. for instance, if you even if you didn't knew the universe was big enough that you couldn't have seen the light from yourself wrapped back around, you might. Um, say, that doesn't matter. I can just look at the overall curvature of the space-time. And we don't have any evidence that the curvature of the space-time isn't flat. We, we All the, our evidence is has an error constraining around it, constraining it around being flat geometry. So in other words, the uncertainties, even in our understanding of the flat universe, do not include the possibility of us being closed. Well, that's the, yes, mm-hmm. that's correct. That's correct. Wow. Right. Okay. So, but intuitively, when you think about it, if the universe, not if, we know the universe is expanding and you look into space, it doesn't it have to be expanding in all directions all at once? Which the only thing that we know that goes in all directions all at once is, you know, like a sphere and an ellipse or something like that. So, intuitively, your mind goes to, oh, it's got to be shaped like that. Um, I think, you know, one would, one, um, one, intuitively from geometry that we understand might suspect that, but actually right. I think that's a little bit of, of, of where you have to actually use your math to tell you uh, that you should be careful of your own intuition because at large scales, we don't necessarily intuitively have to live by the rules of say Newtonian gravity. Um, ah. Just because consider, you know, just an, a plane. If you were a two dimensional being and you lived on a plane, um, that plane could go on forever without having to be wrapped around such that it didn't have a, um, such that it closed in on itself. So it could just be you're on an infinite plane. Um, and then, of course, you can extend that into 3D to have an infinite volume. Um, right. So okay. intuitively, this is a case where we got to check our math and tell ourselves we don't necessarily have to be in a closed universe. I love it. Yeah, so Chuck, Look stop using that. your damn intuition, okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's what. <laughs> Believe me, that we gave up on that a long time ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I opened one of my books with with the statement: "The universe is under no obligation to make sense to you." <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. Just put that I love out that. there. We like there. it. We like that. Okay. Uh, what more do you have, Chuck? Uh, keep them coming from our we? Patreon let's, members. Mm-hmm. Let's keep on going with uh, Patreon member Dylan who says, greetings, Dr. Tyson, Dr. Gates, Chucky Baby. Oh, my God. I haven't heard that right. since. What was that show All where right. the guy went, Chucky Baby, Chucky Baby, Chucky Baby. Damn. I don't remember. I don't mind. remember. All right. Undergrad mm-hmm. astrophysics at NAU in Fladstaff. That's where you'll find me. General, levati- mm. General relatively allows for three possible shapes of the universe, Euclidean, positive, and negative curvatures. Curious on which shape you most lean towards. So we just got finished talking about, uh, you know, how we got to check the math not to be uh, relying Mm -hmm. on our intuition. But now uh, we have a question directly to you, Doc. 
Well, where do you come down on the whole shape issue? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> I, I I tend to I tend to be conservative and trust my colleagues, and so uh, there's amazing experimentalists out there who have so far shown us that we shouldn't expect that the universe overall has a curvature. So uh, I definitely lean towards uh, it being being flat. I will say, you know, when people ask this question. I want to caveat this is on large scales. Of course, gravity the gravity tells us that there is curvature where there's matter. So certainly right. around black holes, the space-time is very curved, but it's like on large scales, if you average it, we think it's, yeah. it's relatively flat. Yeah, okay. and to your last uh, point, we have pictures of that. That's Of course we think that because we, we've actually seen it, not the black hole itself, but how light interplays around the black hole so we know that what you just said, you know, that is absolutely. Speaking of black holes, uh, we had a question earlier about the, this idea of seeing the back of our our Milky Way if we were in a closed spherical, small enough uh, geometry for our universe. Even if we're not, a place where you can potentially see the back side of uh, your own head is actually around a black hole. Black holes have a region around them called the photon sphere, and this is. Um, a region where light can wrap around many times around the black hole, coming pretty close to its original position uh, before either spiraling out very far away from the black hole or falling into the black hole. So if you want to see the Damn. back of your head, go near a black hole. Wait, so the light is basically in orbit around the black hole. That's sense. right. Is that a fair way so to say cool. that? So cool. Yeah, so you look straight ahead and you will see light that headed backwards and came around to the front of your face. And that would be your your nap the nappy back of your head. That's the, right. You go to the barber shop. Go. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> right. Right. Wow, right. that is so cool. That would make for a weird picnic. You know, do you know who you're looking at? Who do, you see <laughs> right. the front and the back of them at the same time, and then you walk towards them, but you don't know which one you look. I mean, yeah. that would that's 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 something somebody needs to do in a movie. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I imagine it'd be very disorienting. Yeah, yes, worst completely. movie, worst movie theater ever. <laughs> <laughs> Down in front. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Oh, that's All a right, fascinating, check. fascinating, fascinating little. Uh, the photon tidbit. sphere, very cool. Okay, this photon sphere. So keep love it going. It, love check. it. Love it. Mm -hmm. All right, here we go. This is Tegan Messier, and Tegan says, "Hello, Doctor Gates. This is Tegan from British Columbia here." Uh, what shape do you think our universe is? We already said that. Um, I heard an idea that it could be shaped like the DNA molecule, since the DNA is the best way to store information that we are aware of. Any thoughts on this? So now the reason why I read this is because there are a lot of people who actually make connections between our own physiology, our brain, our neurosynaptical systems, and the universe itself. Uh, do you see any connection there? I will say there's uh, the shape of DNA is a kind of funny and windy shape. So there's no reason to accept, expect that to be the shape of our universe. But I do think there are a lot of uh, beautiful analogies between um, humanity, our own DNA, um, the structures, shapes of things here on Earth, and the shape of things uh, that we see in the sky, like. Um, the shape of where matter is following the galaxies and dark matter. If we run simulations to see where the stuff is clumped, it has um, interesting patterns that feel a lot of like kinds of natural quote unquote patterns we'd see here um, on Earth. And I think uh, one of my favorite um, analogies between humanity and the universe is the fact that we are all made up of cells and yet we are conscious. And so we're tiny cells uh, that somehow have become conscious and can ask questions about ourselves in the same way um, we are made up of the same stuff as the rest of the universe. Um, and so humanity and any other sentient life out there uh, that's asking such questions is really, you know, made up of these tiny things and then able to query itself about itself, where the universe asking itself about itself. And I think that's pretty, pretty, pretty darn cool. Damn. Damn. Uh, all right. So good that's night. a variant. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that's our show. <laughs> you just got, you can't follow that with anything, yeah, right? But, what do you but, do but, with uh, that? So I think it was in the in the Carl Sagan era. There was the phrase, uh, uh, "Humans are a way for the universe to know itself." 
Ooh. And I, I, that sounds all poetic, but it's kind of egocentric because it implies it that we are the ultimate source of how you, the universe can know itself when it could have made some way smarter aliens around in the other sector. Okay. Well, <laughs> I did say, say are us and any other sentient beings out there. I do think it's humorous to think we're alone. Completely, of course. Yes, yes. Well, look I at that. We are not alone. Look at that. Mm -hmm. So, all you, uh, all you um, extraterrestrial enthusiasts out there, we're not alone. You just heard it here. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is Brian Lacey. Hello, it's Brian from Baltimore. I've heard of toroidal shapes, uh, like the donut, and that our universe may even be that. How does it work in, wait a minute, here's the questions, because we just touched on that. So just to let you know, I'm not crazy. How does this work in upper dimensions? So that's, that's the difference from what we just touched upon about the tori. So, you know, what, what, do, how do things change once we get to other dimensions? So if we add dimensions, um, actually, you know, depending on what we're describing, things don't change too much. Um, we can okay. think about, we know how to measure um, the curvature of shapes Actually, it turns out intrinsically, which means we don't have to embed them in higher dimensions to know how to measure their curvature. So, you know, you might think I can measure the shape of a circle because I can hold an object that's a circle. But if I lived on the circle, I wouldn't be able to describe its shape unless it was small enough for me to walk all the way around and come back to the same point. Um, but in geometry, this isn't quite true. There are intrinsic ways um, in principle to measure curvature. So we can get at um, the curvature um, even if we live in the space-time. And so the same measures we would use to say is space-time curved in our three plus one, that means three space plus one time, um, space-time that we live in, um, we could play the same mathematical uh, games and use um, similar experiments that we've developed to measure the, the shape of space-time uh, in higher dimensions. It, it turns out... So um, what, do, what does... What, what, what is a higher dimensional torus... Um, like, like, what is that? Well, I, it's a it, it's a shape I can't draw on a piece of paper because we only have so many dimensions. Um, but mm -hmm. it, it's um, more or less, in a way, the same, uh, similar to what we have now. You could think of having uh, describing a torus uh, at least um, topologically. Um, you can describe a torus as uh, as a as taking uh, a closed object like a sphere and then puncturing it, and you can count. You can describe tori by how many punctures they have. There's the donut, which has one puncture. You know, you've seen inner tubes where they're where you, when you go down a um, um, like a water slide where two people can sit on it. That's a torus with two holes, or we call the holes genus. And so you can do the same game in higher dimensions, and you can say starting with a closed shape, and I puncture holes into it, and I can describe it by how many holes it has. Whoa, that is really dope. That is cool. <laughs> Next time awesome. I'm on a two-seater water slide, I'll be thinking of this conversation. Yeah, for absolutely. sure. Right. I think that's All one right. of the fun things okay. about being a physicist is you can you can think about analogies to the stuff you're learning in physics and math, geometry, et cetera, uh, when you come across everyday objects. And it makes them, in my mind, feel even more exciting to, to think about. Mm-hmm. 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 Cool. All right. All right. All right, Chuck, keep it uh, going. This is Hai Du, and Hai Du says, Hello, Dr. Gates, Dr. Tyson, Lord Nice. I've always wondered if the golden ratio ever applied to anything astrophysical in nature. If not, why? We hear it used often with terrestrial architecture, art, music, etc. Do you ever mm. find these examples in astrophysics? Wow. Um, so... <laughs> Um, maybe uh, Neil can tell us more, but I, to my understanding, I'm not sure that the golden ratio uh, tends to pop up in any um, astronomical observables or measures, to my knowledge. Um, I, I haven't, I haven't seen it either. Um, yeah, so, yeah. I think yeah, one thing that does, like, you know, in a sense, pop up more often is pi, um, but that's because pi is uh, related to spheres. Cool. So a lot of equations, right. like. Um, um, Einstein's equation, for instance, has pi in it. It is where pi shows up in the in in the most unlikely places that you'd ever think. Yes, and there it is. Like, how'd you get it? Who let you in? Who ordered that? <laughs> hey, right, you, right, right, you, right, some exactly. of us order pizza pies, and some of us order 
the number pie. <laughs> there you go. All right. All right. Let's okay. move on. Um, this is mm-hmm. uh, Zuber Singh. Um, he says, hello, Dr. Gates, Dr. Tyson, and Chuck. Here's my question. How does the, how does the geometry of space-time change in the presence of massive objects like a black hole? And how does this affect motion of objects in the vicinity of those massive objects? So, I mean, if you want to talk truth, truly massive, it have to be, you know, black holes at the center of our galaxies. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we all know that our planets, for instance, in our solar system orbit the sun. And so this is this effect where we can get matter to travel around an object many times is the name, namely one of the biggest features of having mass uh, really concentrated. And so when we concentrate mass even more into a smaller area and we get even heavier objects, these effects get more and more pronounced. Namely for black holes, the defining feature of them is that you have so much gravity that not only is it planets or other massive objects that can get on paths that Um, are closed, you also can get the same thing happening to light. Um, And you can even get it such that you have the event horizon um, gravity so strong that even light can escape from the black hole if it gets too close. So uh, it's just a bigger and more pronounced effect of what you probably know from your astronomy classes or science class when you learn about planets being able to be on orbits. And like I mentioned, the photon sphere earlier, you can get light bending around black holes multiple times. And of course, you have the defining feature of them, the event horizon, um, the surface um, around the black hole, the, the, the area from which if light gets caught, uh, if light goes to that, that area, that it won't be able to escape the gravity uh, and leave the planet, leave the black hole, excuse me. That's pretty cool. Yeah, now you just said, you know, with this photon sphere again, and what just popped into my head as a question is, how are you recognizing the same light as opposed to the new light that's coming in from behind the black hole? So how are you identifying these are the same photons that we just registered whenever? Great question. So if you are thinking about the problem from a mathematical standpoint, you can do the following. You can say, I, have, I can shoot light from different positions around the black hole and watch uh, and calculate all the paths that it can take. And so it's when you do that, if you say, I have a source here and an observer here, I shoot off light and I watch the different paths that connect my observer and my uh, source or my source and my observer, then you can just look at the different paths to see how many times it winds. In actuality, uh, in the real world, we don't have experiments that are so um, powerful yet that we can necessarily... Um, easily detect um, the light from an object being the light that wound many times. But in principle, one could look at, say, uh, a black hole that has stuff spiraling around it, and they could look for uh, statistically um, correlations in the image to know that they saw um, light from that object that wound different amounts of time. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. All right. Excellent. Chuck, we got to take a break. But oh, we'll come okay. Back for, we'll be come back for our third and final segment of Cosmic Queries, Space Time Continuum Edition. Star Talk returns. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. 
Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. We're back, Star Talk Cosmic Queries. We're talking about the space-time continuum with Dr. Delilah Gates of Princeton University. Uh, do I understand correctly that you you make an appearance in a Netflix series? What's it called here? A trip to infinity? Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, um, there's a um, a um, Netflix special called A Trip to Infinity, which I appear in, and uh, it has experts, mathematicians, physicists, philosophers, and um, we take the chance to discuss what it's like uh, to try to grapple with the concept of infinity what it means to mathematicians and physicists and philosophers, um, and try to give people a way to understand it. I think it, it's wonderfully done, has beautiful animations, and can give anyone the sense of awe that I feel and that I think many physicists and, and scientists feel who th- think about these kinds of problems when we, when we uh, do our work. I love it. I have it bookmarked, and I haven't watched it, but now I'm going to watch it. All right, Chuck, the last segment. Last segment. We'll make it quick. I mean, I'll keep things moving. But first, let me just give the PS to uh, uh, Zuber Singh, who I promised that I would. But uh, And he says, my educational background is in the humanities, but because of Neil and Cosmos, I am now a huge fan of astrophysics. Love what nice. you're doing. Just wanted to say that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, let's do this. This is Colby Lepressi who says this. Hey, it's Colby from South Carolina here. Hi, Neil. Hi, Chuck. Hi, Dr. Cage. Why do we always see galaxies appear closer and closer together when we look deeper and deeper in space? Does this have any indication of the shape of the cosmos? Um, I get that we're looking back, but what's the deal? Okay. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the deal is twofold. I think, one, as we can see further and further away, Um, Of course, if you think about having a forest and you can only see the trees a certain distance and then you can see tree, you can add on distances, it seems more dense. Not that they weren't always there, but just because you have farther depth in your vision. So it seems more crowded because you're seeing further and further away black uh, galaxies stacked on top of each other. So that's one. And then two... But that's a line of sight. So that's a line of sight thing. That's a line of sight thing. And then I think... Right, right. it's not that they're actually next to each other. They're... They're, they're just lined up in your line of sight, exactly. and they feel like they're crowding. Exactly, and I think in, be- in, in photography, in photography, that's called depth of field. And when you use a longer lens to take yep. a picture, you can Absolutely. squish things together with a telephoto lens. But go ahead. Absolutely. So there's mm-hmm. the depth of field, but then also because we are the way we view things, we view things um, kind of you know from one position. If you view things, you view things in a cone, a con- so you have a conical view outward. So additionally, at, you can stack more things, kind of directly behind each other, so it looks denser, but you also, as you look out, you see um, a conical um, kind of field of view. And so you have, based on just the shape of a cone, right, you can fit less things here than you could fit at the top of the cone. And so the top of the cone, the things that are farther away, you can also see more of those. So it's, I think it's part of it is depth as well as um, the fact that we view things conically. So it looks like we're seeing more and more. And then, um, but it's not actually um, a statement necessarily about um, galax- um, something having fundamentally changed. Those galaxies were there. They've been there for a long time. It's just we have new technology. And by the way, galaxies do collide, so it's not that that does happen. But I want to add something here, and that is in the past, because if you look out in space, you're looking back in time, the universe was smaller than it is today. Mm-hmm. So... This angle of view that you send out to the edge of the universe actually encloses much more of the universe in the early time than it does in the later time, simply because the universe was smaller. It's an interesting phenomenon that we, that we see. So we have to adjust measures of the distances between things that we get from the angle 
that we see. So, so there would be distortions on this cone that Delilah was talking about. Yeah. Wow. So, so the cone okay. doesn't go straight out. The cone actually focuses back a bit as you go out there. And so uh, cramming in more of the universe into the field of view. It's a pretty Look cool effect, actually. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's Great keep going. question there. Time Colby. for a couple we more. We appreciate you. This All right. is Woody mm -hmm. from Adelaide who says, uh, I Adelaide, Australia. Yes, sir. Australia, okay. And yeah, we're getting them from all over the world today, man. All right, all right. People, mm -hmm. are, really, people are interested in this, uh, this subject. Woody says, I often see visualizations and descriptions of the fabric of space-time where a 3D structure stretches and bends, but is it possible for space-time to be anything like a fluid near or inside of an event horizon? Oh, I like that. A fluid. Wow, look at that. Ooh. So fluid. I'll start with the fact that we don't know what happens in a side of an event horizon. We can make mathematical speculations, but like uh, we, Neil said, the universe has uh, is not obligated to be understandable by us or be um, in accordance with what we've so far calculated. And since an event horizon, by definition, is a region from which light cannot escape, we can get no information about what's behind it, at least as far as our understanding is today. Um, but if we even think about the space-time that we have outside of black holes, um, we can think of it in a way um, as something that is in motion. Um, because sources of, that's things like black holes, galaxies, planets, all these things are moving. So the shape of space-time around them is also always dynamically changing and adjusting as the matter moves on top of it. Um, and in fact, enabled to, in order to understand um, the gravitational wave detections that we have from LIGO um, and the other um, experiments, Kagra and such, um, we have to dynamically calculate the way space-time changes, uh, stretches, uh, and contracts because of the two massive objects spinning in on each other to emit gravitational waves. So, in fact, yes, the universe is a, like a fabric or a, a geometrical shape, but it's not rigid. Not rigid. Mm, there not it is. Rigid. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Wow, look at that. Okay. Fascinating cool. stuff. Fascinating stuff. All right. Let's another one. Keep check. It moving on. Okay. Here we go. This is Bruce Ryan. Bruce Ryan is from Alexandria, Virginia. He says, "I once heard Neil say that there is no center of the universe." Hey, what's up with that? If the <laughs> universe started from a single point, there has to be a center at some moment. Okay. Uh, All right, Delilah, now, dig us out of that one. So <laughs> um, this is the, um, again, where our intuition is, is fooling us if we think about uh, what we're used to. Um, but in fact, um, we know, for instance, the, for instance, that the universe is probably not uh, shaped like a sphere, but for a moment, suppose it was. If it was shaped like a sphere and you're a, point, an, a person who lives on this sphere, who's to say what point is more special than any other point on that sphere? And so when we say that the universe is expanding, it's not talking about, um, it's not talking about expanding away from any one given point that's the center. It's the whole thing expanding in size. Think of drawing a point on the surface of a balloon and then blowing up the balloon. All points on the surface of the sphere get farther and farther away from each other, but none of them is more special than the others. And this is what we mean when we say there's no center to the universe, despite the fact that it's expanding. I like to think of it that there is a center, but you, don't, you can only find it if you go back in time. So mm. it's a place in time, not in space. Yes, yes. What do you think of that? Excellent. A place yeah. in time. See, my answer not is in space. the center of the universe is, in the words of Little Richard, me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is Little Richard the only one who have ever said me? Is that you got to go to uh, him? Right. Right. Okay. He's the only one that ever said it like that. <laughs> like that. That's right. Like that. Yes. All right. Which I love. Okay. Sorry. Just mm -hmm. give him a shout out. Love that guy. He's dead, but who cares? All right. All right. Quick, quick last one. Give it to me. Can we get last a last one. one in? All right. Let me, let me last find one. something here that is. Uh, Delilah, you got to okay, go on soundbite sound mode. All right. Delilah. Okay. All right. Let's go. All right. This is Jesse Desmond. Okay. I picked the wrong one because I don't even know what this is, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> could, the Mandela, <laughs> uh, could the Mandela effect be the result of a parallel universe colliding with ours? 
Imagine two bubbles colliding, but instead of bursting, uh, they form a double bubble. I hesitate to say yes to that. Um, I Just because I don't understand how mathematically we would set up the situation to describe this. And mathematics is king in theoretical physics. You have to write down your theory and then test it. So okay. if we don't have that, I hesitate to put any weight behind it. Sorry. And, and, and remind us of the Mandela effect described here. Is that... The Mandela effect is this effect where we misremember, like like large swaths of people will remember something falsely, like um, Luke, I am your father in Star Wars. I think he just says, I am your father. I think there's no Luke Yeah, he never it. says Luke. Or Berestein mm-hmm. bears versus Berenstain bears. So it's this thing where it seems like as a whole, lots of people seem to misremember something, uh, which feels uncanny. Mm-hmm. Right, right, That's right. There's another one, like uh, it was... Uh, Play it again, Sam. There is no again. He just says, play it, Sam. I'm pretty sure. Wow. Oh, cool. Yeah, All I right. think. Or, 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 or the, uh, the inverse of that. But what people misremember that collectively and are certain about what their memory is, and it's just all wrong. So what is it we're, we're misremembering about Mandela? That he's not Dr. Martin Luther King. <laughs> I think it might be is when he died is what people misremember. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. He's got the name. So the day we do discover parallel universes intersecting in ways that are interesting, Mandela is remembered for this. This is cool. I like Very that. Good. Yes. And, and and not Luke. <laughs> not Star Wars. <laughs> not the Luke effect. <laughs> Let there be some social justice gained right. by the collision of two parallel universes. Well, Delilah, it's been it's been delightful to have you on and congratulations on your recently minted PhD. Uh, good luck. Sometimes you need a little bit of that uh, going forward uh, in this universe. And if you make any new discoveries or you hear about anything very cool, give us a holler. We'll put you right back on. Because yeah. it's clear... Tell us first. It- <laughs> <laughs> we'll do. Tell us we'll first, do. Delilah. Thank you yeah. so much for having me. Don't let, the, uh, don't, let the, don't let those Princeton people call the New York Times. You call me, I'll get it on here first. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Really good. This has been Star Talk Cosmic Queries Edition with Dr. <laughs> Delilah Gates, a newly minted PhD at Princeton University, right down the block from us in New York. Chuck, always good to have you, man. Always a pleasure. But Neil deGrasse Tyson here, as always, bidding you to keep looking up. It's one thing falling in love with a house. Picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.